With your Amex card, entertainment benefits like special ticket access and pre-sales to select can't miss events while supplies last, make every tap music to your ears. Zach trying to get loose. He'll fire. He knocks it down. Carl slammed it home. Garland upstairs. Oh, Sexton inside. A thunderous dunk. And Allen blocked the shot at the rim. Welcome to the Chase Down Podcast, part of the Cavs Media family. I'm your host, Justin Rowan. No Carter Rodriguez with us today, but we are making up for it in a big way. Joining me today is the general manager of the basketball team, formerly known as the Canton Charge, Brendan Yu. Brendan, thank you so much for joining me today. Justin, appreciate you having me on. I'm excited to speak with you. I'm really excited to have you, and I think the proper place to start the logical place to start is the news uh that the cannon charge is moving from canton to cleveland i'm very excited about this news because my first instinct is to be selfish and that selfish instinct is hey when i go to cleveland there's now a likelihood that i can actually check out a charge game which is exciting uh can you provide some insight into the move and and how excited you are uh now that this has been announced and it's going to take place yeah, no, I, I think it's really exciting, you know, for me and, and the team as well. Just, you know, this has been uh, in the works for a, a little bit now. And obviously it's bittersweet to move on from Canton because, you know, for nine years that, w- that was home for us the, as a charge. And they did an awesome job taking care of us and, you know, met some really great people down there and, you know, had the support of the community. But I, I think this is kind of the right time to make a move like this and, you know, I'm, I'm just really excited for organization in the sense that, man, just all the benefits that come with proximity and being able to have, you know, more access to, you know, the Cavs practice facility for the players and the player care and, and treatment that, uh, you know, we just, you know, you drive an hour and a half or hour 15 both ways, like doesn't sound like too much, but, you know, it, it takes a lot out of you sometimes or a lot out of the players and just kind of, you know, you know, just right down the road or have a shared practice facility, um, I think just would be beneficial. Oh, absolutely. I, I think anytime that you have some synergy there and there's continuity, uh, you get a more, you're more aware of what's going on with the, the charge uh, from a CAS organization standpoint. And I, I know reading the press release, uh, being from Winnipeg and, and having won uh, a minor league team, uh, we had the Manitoba Moose for a while, and then they left, uh, we got the Winnipeg Jets back, and then the Moose moved back. So we're in a situation where both the NHL team and the AHL team are in the the same market. It was nice, though, uh, coming from the perspective of a market that has lost a, a minor league team uh, to see in the press release that those community initiatives are still going to be continuing in Canton and that the, the charge is still dedicated to maintaining those relationships. I thought that that was a, a really positive thing to see in that release. No doubt. That was something that we were going to make sure that, hey, if we make this move that, hey, that we're not completely abandoning Canton or anything like that and all the people down there that have helped us and been good for us. And we want to still be involved in the community with, you know, youth programs or food drives or community events and stuff like that. Um, to, you know, that, that was home for, like I said, nine years. You, you, you never kind of forget home in that sense. Oh, absolutely. And the, the one question I have, so, my mind got spinning when I saw this news because I, I've been a real proponent of having a real minor league system. And I, I think the G League has taken some massive strides 
uh, over the last few years where you're seeing more teams use the G League more and more effectively. You're seeing more and more success stories, uh, both from a player standpoint and a coaching staff. Um, as I was reading your bio uh, to, to prepare and do my homework uh, for this, uh, you've been with the organization since 2014-2015, previously serving as the uh, Director of G League Operations and uh, Basketball Operations Special Projects. How has the relationship between the NBA and the G League evolved in your time with the organization? Have you seen an increase of emphasis in using the G League? What, what has that evolution looked like? Yeah, I think the the league itself has really grown, you know, from when I first started was the D League. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I think the term D League, you know, developmental league like made sense, but for kind of the layman or, or people that might not have been familiar, they hear D League and they're like, oh, like what about the B League or what about the C League? And <laughs> I, I think just with, you know, the sponsorship with or the partnership with Gatorade and calling it the G League, that kind of put, you know, it on the map a little bit more, made it a little more clear. But, uh, no, just over my time here, I think like you, you hit the nail on the head. Just teams are starting to realize how beneficial the G League can be for them. I mean, I think we've got 27 teams now, at least 28 teams maybe with Denver uh, next year joining in. And just teams are realizing the benefits of being able to have, you know, some control and input on how, you know, the development of their young players went or go. Um, I mean, before it used to be teams would share a G League team. You'd have us and the Pacers and the Pistons or the Nuggets all sharing, you know, the Fort Wayne Mad Ants or something like that. And, you know, that's all great. But what happens when we want to send a shooting guard and the Pacers want to send a shooting guard, like being able to control, hey, we're going to make sure our, our guy gets reps and our guy gets minutes and our guy gets put in pick and roll situations. You get to guard the other team's best player and is coached how we want to coach him. Mm-hmm. Um, versus just having to share with another team like that stuff's important especially at a young age and especially in the NBA today where I think you know you've seen it just the, the rookies are younger and younger to start it seems like yeah no kidding it, it's funny too because I it almost feels like there's more talent coming into the league than ever before. Like I've almost advocated because my brain is wired to just being used to minor league systems like you, you see it being more prominent in other leagues I almost advocate sometimes for expanding the draft. Like if teams had more um, mo- more rights to players and, and you could use that as development because you, you look at someone even like Lamar Stevens, he probably under a normal season that wasn't impacted by the pandemic may not have had as much time with the team to develop. Um, you, there, There's so many examples of undrafted players, even like Fred Van Vliet, Lou Dort, like these guys that are talented players, but may just take some time, like just need some seasoning and I, I really do feel like there's an opportunity as the league continues to evaluate um, ways to better utilize the G League to to really capitalize on the amount of talent that's there. Do you think that that could be something that could be explored down the road or something that you would advocate for, maybe expanding the roster rights uh, for NBA teams to the G League or expanding the draft even? Yeah, I think the, the draft thing is an interesting kind of... Uh topic to bring up in the sense of I'm not sure if you're too familiar with kind of how the you know the first 60 picks get shown on TV but then it goes to commercial cuts off they move on to sports center or something like that but yeah it's kind of funny the end of the dra- as soon as the draft ends I feel like that's when you know I, I get the most busy at least in terms of as soon as you kind of start to see hey this guy might not get drafted I'm 
I'm on the phone with our top targets. And Lamar was one of those guys. Mm-hmm. And so uh, it, it's interesting if the draft expanded, suddenly some of those guys end up getting drafted, end up getting their rights. And I do think that the two ways, um, you know, what, three or four years ago now, mm-hmm. um, kind of helped allow teams to kind of stash a couple of guys. And it's been interesting to see how teams have used those, whether they've taken a more veteran route or taken a guy that's like ready to help them, you know, in a pinch or kind of taken more on a, a development project. And mm-hmm. I just think that those extra roster routes give some teams some more uh, leeway, but it is interesting in the G league, just it, it's very different than minor league baseball, for example, where, you know, we've got two, two ways and any assignment guys, other teams can't call up, but you know, the 10 regular G league players, they're kind of free game for anybody to call up in that sense. So the, the rights aspect would be interesting and you just have to, work with the players association and all that fun stuff. And then new CBA. Absolutely. Do, do you, I, as you were talking about that, do you per, almost prefer the wild West aspect of that, that after 60 picks, Hey, it's go time. Uh, there's all these prospects that I was interested in that I've been scouting, uh, that, that I want to pitch of to them, what the cannon charge can do to them, what, what the system's going to do, what the coaching staff's going to bring to the table. Do you almost prefer that aspect or uh, would you be opposed to a third round and potentially? Um, you know, that's a good question. I, I think if you did have a third round, even a fourth round, like there's still always be some element of, you know, there's what 500 players in the draft at a time and you've got 60 picks or 90 picks or 120 picks where there's always going to be a, an element of, Hey, can we get bring in this guy who goes undrafted? Because at the end of the day, there are a lot of really good players. A lot of it's, you know, right place, right time, right situation for these guys. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do think with, like you said, the kind of wild, wild west element of it, the, the relationship you build up with these agents or, you know, bringing in guys for workouts and your ability to kind of sell your franchise and our ability to, Hey, now we're in Cleveland and right mm-hmm. next, we're going to use the same facilities. We're going to have our, team chef, you know, prepare meals, just like the Cavs. We're going to treat these guys like pros. Suddenly the charge become a little bit more of a, a destination point than maybe another team. Mm-hmm. Is there, a, what goes into your thought process when you are looking at undrafted players that could potentially make a difference? Cause I, I guess there's a whole variety uh, that you can pick from. Like there's players that may have entered the draft thinking that they, they had a good shot at uh, being one of those top 60 picks. Uh, you may have four year guys that, Hey, they, they finished their college career. They're maybe a little more polished, uh, but they just happen to not have been picked in the top 60. Like what kind of fills the profile of what you're looking looking for like do team needs even come into consideration or is it just raw what is the best player that's available that we believe we can develop into an NBA player yeah I think for us one of the the top kind of priorities or or checklist items is character um at the at the end of the day these guys are most likely going to be your two-way guys or end of bench guys and um, I think it's really important for those guys that might not get to play as much or, um, you know, aren't, you aren't counting on to be great teammates on the bench, to be guys that are, are great in the locker room and guys you don't have to want to worry about or anything like that. And so I think that's almost kind of box number one that you've got to check. And then from there, it's what role can this guy play? You know, at that point, you know, if you're not a six, uh, top 60 pick, you can still be a really good player, but there's most likely going to be some flaw or a question mark you've got to overcome. 
And it's a matter of, hey, you know, Lamar Stevens might not be as ready with his three-point shot, but, man, he's going to come in with high energy, high character, be a great defender, and let's see if we can develop his three-point shot and turn him mm-hmm. into a, a P.J. Tucker type or something like that in that sense. And I think those are the type of players we target of filling more specific roles, if that makes sense. That does make a lot of sense. And, and it also tracks that, hey, we're, we're going to look for high work ethic guys, high character players, because they're probably going to be the most likely to take whatever talents they're bringing to the table and translate that into an NBA skill. And, and it's really interesting, too. I, I feel like while the players are more skilled than ever in today's game, it, it also does feel like you're seeing more and more specialists, right? Like they, that's becoming more and more prominent and does that make it kind of easier uh, from your perspective to kind of find guys that you believe can fill a role in the NBA, like Lamar Stevens, PJ Tucker, uh, as an example? Uh, you, you can kind of picture guys being in a certain mold versus, hey, it's a little more freewheeling. We're just going to try to get talent and, and see if it meshes with the roster. Do, do you find kind of the specialization of the game makes this process a, a little more easy from your perspective? Yeah, you know, I, I do think that, like you said, the kind of the need for specialists, the Lamar Stevens, P.J. Tucker, you know, uh, a Duncan Robinson shooter mm-hmm. or, or something like that. You have certain roles that, hey, this guy, like I said, might be a little bit small or might not be the most athletic. But, man, if you can really do this one thing that's valuable on an NBA court, like teams are going to find a place to keep you on. And I, and I think it's it's been fun watching the playoffs just, you know, watching the playoffs and kind of seeing the chess match that goes on with the coaches and then the mm. players that are kind of going in and out of the rotation. And for me, you know, when I was first in the league and got to be a part of some really fun finals runs and championship teams <laughs> and, and, and stuff like that, it kind of takes me back to the days when we had Channing Fry and Tristan Thompson, mm-hmm. where, you know, Channing was a stretch big that man, he used to torch the Hawks or, you know, give the Raptors fits and stuff like that. But there's other series where he might play, five minutes a game and you know it's interesting just to have the versatility of those specialists and kind of use them like chess pieces in a sense no absolutely you're you're bringing back all those fond memories there was nothing more fun than Channing Fry torching teams because especially in a family full of Raptors fans like there's already like the anxiety of trying to defend Kyrie, Kevin Love, LeBron, J.R. Smith, even. And then Channing Fry comes in off the bench and he just <laughs> lights up a team. It was always so enjoyable. Do you think uh, maybe the, the next version of this uh, or the next playoff team that the Cavs will roster, do you think maybe Dean Wade is going to fill a little bit of that role? Man, I would love to see it. I, I'm a huge Dean Wade guy and you know, just seeing his development from, you know, summer league with us to, you know, Canton charge days to where he was this year, even this year, you know, having a strong preseason and training camp and then just kind of falling out of the rotation a little bit. And then mm-hmm. right before the all-star break and inserting the starting lineup to play the Hawks and John Collins, cause we were kind of just banged up and then just kind of never really, really looked back from there. But I think just seeing his, growth and his confidence and his belief in himself. And uh, I mean, just the versatility he brings, you know, on both ends of the floor as a, as a spacer, as a good ball mover. And then defensively, you know, he's, he's pretty dang good too. Like mm-hmm. we had him on Luca for stretches, Jason Tatum. And part of that was due to some injuries by our guys, but he's pretty good at moving his feet. He's big and strong too. 
Yeah, he really held his own in those situations. And to me, it's funny that with the pandemic break, like it was a nine month break and Carter and I were sitting here doing so many team previews. Like we thought we had covered every single angle. And then here comes Dean Wade establishing himself as an actual rotation player and someone that like when we talk to our our fans in the discord, like people want Dean Wade to be part of the rotation (laughs) moving forward. Like he's actually factoring into those plans. And to me, that's, it's just so great to see that because I, I feel like the best organizations always find those value in the margins. I think Toronto Raptors are a great example of really utilizing the G League, both for uh, undrafted players and, and guys that need a little more time, as well as some of their higher picks like Pascal Siakam spent a, a lot of time in the G League developing his skills before he was ready to contribute at the NBA level. Do you think that there's been more kind of continuity between what the NBA team and the G League team are running. Uh, do, do you think that there's been kind of a shift towards that? Because I, I know the perception of the the D League back in the day was kind of, it's a lot of guys looking to get their own stats, looking to uh, just go out there and make an impression. H- has there been a shift, in your opinion, on the way that teams approach um, the, the games in the G League? Yeah, I think so. And, you know, our coaching staffs are, you know, fairly tightly knit. We have, you know, a two-way coach in Sam Jones who actually just took a Colorado State job. But, uh, you know, this past year, his job was to work with the two-way guys or the past couple of years to work with the two, two-way guys as they went back and forth. And he was always a good kind of conduit to, you know, work with Coach Beeline or Coach Bickerstaff to convey to our head coach in Canton at the time, Nate, ranking, hey, we implemented this set or we've been working on this coverage. Let's try and work on the same so that when – Dean Wade or Lamar Stevens or whoever kind of was getting shuffled back and forth. They knew everything. It wasn't like, Oh, what are we running up here with Cleveland? Mm. Oh, it's the same thing we ran down in Canton at the time. And so I do think that the continuity and just the, the, the sets and the coverages and stuff terminology is all the same on purpose. And I think that's what, like I mentioned earlier of why you're seeing teams, um, kind of have that one-to-one instead of relying on other teams to kind of develop uh, their players. It, it makes sense. And, and you'd have to imagine as more and more teams are doing this and effectively using it, that's probably leading to the teams that aren't saying, hey, we, we're behind the curve if we're not doing this, right? Like there's... It, it's all about increasing kind of your margin from error, uh, margin for error from a team building standpoint, right? Like if you can find value in the margins, if you can find turn guys into rotation players, like that's one less player that you might have to trade for or go out and spend a lot of money in free agency, right? And then you hope that these players turn into success stories like a Lou Dort that, that gets that contract, that gets that security, that uh, encourages more and more players to go that route. Uh, what was your um, opinion on the G League Ignite team uh, th- this past year? I-, I know that, at least from my standpoint, that drew more interest from me. I actually tuned into more of the games than I would have. Do-, do you think it was good for the exposure of the league? Do you think that this is something that can be built upon moving forward? Because um, I-, I know even talking to other people that tuned in for those games, they, they were surprised by the quality of play overall. Uh, maybe some of that had to do with the fact that they're playing in a bubble. So you're you're in that same situation that the NBA was, where better shooting lines, uh, no travel, rest, that sort of thing. But overall, do you feel like it had a positive impact on the league? Yeah, I, I would say so. I was definitely 
you know, pleasantly surprised at, you know, how well that team kind of was put together. And I think the, the league did a great job, you know, getting talented young players that are exciting and are going to be lottery picks or first round picks or high draft picks that can kind of generate some buzz in media, but also kind of surrounding them with, you know, the Jarrett Jacks of the world and, you know, the Brandon Ashley's and mm-hmm. Cody Demps and those guys of the world and vets in order to kind of teach them and say, Hey, like, this is kind of how the pro game works. Like let's incorporate you guys kind of slowly and, you know, kind of like a, a rookie year in a sense um, with, with other vets uh, on an NBA team. Mm-hmm. So I think it definitely um, was great for the league in terms of an exposure standpoint. And then just one other thing you said in terms of the bubble, I think what a lot of people don't realize or don't understand is the G league bubble was definitely very different than the NBA bubble in terms of, just the resources and all that went into it. And I think uh, our schedule, we played 15 games in 23 days. Oosh. And my my knees every- are hurting just <laughs> listening to that. Yeah. And, and, and I think every team was, was similar in, in that sense. And so, you know, on those seven or eight days off, you're not even really practicing. It's more like, Hey, let's get an ice bath or, Hey, let's do some treatment. And so I think the fact that the basketball was good, I, I think was, pretty impressive considering the amount of rest that teams had and just kind of lack of lack of practice time too yeah i mean geez I'm, I'm glad that you said this and this is why it's great to have someone like you on that provides that insight because like that has to factor into like even evaluating the players like i, I know carter and i uh we were trying to kind of weigh how you evaluate the different prospects uh jalen green and jonathan kaminga obviously being among those and we were pointing out hey they're playing against grown-ass men in comparison to some of these guys in college uh but the fact that the the schedule was as tough on these guys as you're conveying there that has to be taken into consideration too and i guess it just speaks to the level of talent that these guys had that they were actually stepping up in that way and the other thing that really impresses me too is that you are starting to see more and more nba players like go down to the g league later in their career whether it be to get another shot and stay fresh or to, you know, pass on some wisdom to, to give back to the game. Like some of these guys, they just really love playing. And uh, to, to paraphrase Michael Irvin, uh, you don't want to lose recipes. So <laughs> uh, it, it is really nice to see that those players are giving back in some way. What do you think the next steps for the G League are? Like wh- what areas of growth do you kind of identify that you'd like to see with the league? Yeah, but before I answer that, I, I'd be remiss if I didn't mention you were talking about kind of the the older veteran players that have come down to the G league and kind of passed on their wisdom. Like, man, I, I think we had one of the best in the business at that. And, and Kendrick Perkins a couple of years mm-hmm. ago when big perk came and played with us. And I mean, just an incredible human being and larger than life. And you know, <laughs> what, what, what you see on TV is who he was, you know, on person, man, always had a story, not afraid to share his opinion. And I'll never for, forget the, the first uh, day of training camp we had, uh, down in at Edgewood down in Canton um, Edgewood's like a community center that you know we shared um, with kind of like a, the senior citizens a workout facility that we, we share the core with and after practice um, Perk goes over the concession stand and literally buys the whole cooler full of Gatorades and waters <laughs> and stuff for the guys and I mean that's just who Perk was and, and is and like just was very willing and, and, you know, to pass on, like you said, those recipes mm-hmm. young guys. And that was one of my, you know, we were just okay that year. And obviously 
you know, Perk, I think kind of slowly exited basketball into the media world where he's killing it now, but um, one of my all time favorite guys to have as a, a member of the charge and just an overall great human being in that sense. What other guys uh, that's have, would you point to that have made an impact on the charge during your time there? Like what kind of standout leaders have kind of emerged in that environment? Yeah. One of uh, an all-time charge legend, John Holland, who, you know, we ended up having mm-hmm. it on a two way to the Cavs for a while, just another unbelievable human being. You know, he was part of the Harvard, Harvard business program, really, really smart, understood, you know, basketball wasn't the end all be all. And I think was, great for kind of passing on to the younger guys. Hey, like you've got to have a plan afterwards or, you know, Mm -hmm. the G league is great, but you know, it's also good to make some money overseas at times and and stuff like that. And then uh, we've had him in the past three years, but Levi Randolph um, who has kind of bounced around, had a, had a cup of tea with us on a two way and 10 day. And, you know, just his mind, he's just got one of the most curious minds I've ever seen where he's always, looking for an edge, looking for ways to get better. And, you know, it, it was funny down in the uh, bubble in Orlando, you know, we had our own training room where we brought Norma and ice baths and all that. And we used to joke, Levi just had his own training room because he bought all the same equipment and had every new toy and stuff in his own room uh, <laughs> um, in the bubble. But he was great in the sense of, man, he really would kind of preach to the younger guys of the importance of taking care of their bodies at a young age. It's like, man, I, I wish I, you know, iced after games more often. I wish I stretched more often and I might be a little more bouncier today if I did that and um, really took guys under his wings. I would say those three guys kind of really stood out to me. I can echo those sentiments. I, <laughs> I, I, high school basketball is still taking a toll on my body, unfortunately. <laughs> a, lot, a lot of hip and knee pain. Uh, playing through injuries always seems like a really noble thing, but sometimes you need to be saved from yourself. And unfortunately, I wasn't. I, I played uh, about a month on a dislocated knee, which they don't advise. So I'm Ooh. I'm dealing with uh, some of the fallout from that. I, I want to circle back to the uh, the question of what next steps you you see for the G league or what areas of growth that you'd really like to see uh, for this league? Yeah. You know, I think the G league is still a great testing ground um, for a lot of different new ideas and rules. You know, the coaches challenge started in the G league and um, some various rules and kind of things like that. So I'm, I'm really looking forward to the future in terms of, you know, I feel like the, the G league is a little, sometimes like a glimpse into what the NBA could look like. Um, mm-hmm. In terms of, you know, the G League, it kind of started the trend of small ball. There were teams, you know, back in 2000, you know, when I first started that were playing guys that were 6'6", six, 6'7", six, six, at center and being really effective. And then suddenly you see the Warriors come along with Draymond, and that's kind of a whole novel thing in the NBA. But And the G League had been done for a while. Um, and so I think just – pushing the envelope on kind of new ideas and testing things out in the G league, I, I think will continue to grow, whether that be, Hey, we want to see, you know, a team full court press for, you know, 48 minutes and, you know, kind of do rotation subs like that. Or we want to see a team, you know, try playing a triangle and two more often, or mm-hmm. um, just kind of pushing the envelope with some of those different ideas like that, I think is a, an area of growth for the G league. And then, um, I, I think just the increase in, you know, I think half the teams now in the G League kind of have their teams, you know, right down the road. I, I think you'll just see more and more NBA assignments from guys, even if it's just for a game, just to 
get game reps and teams will realize like, man, it's, it's way better for a guy to play 30 minutes, a couple nights than just kind of sit on the bench and get a pregame workout in with us. Yeah. And, the interesting thing too, and I noticed this in the release uh, with the announcement that the the charge are moving from Canton to Cleveland. There was a note in there that sixty percent of the players right now in the NBA have played in the G League at some point. Like, I I find the more that I like research the the G League, the more connections I find. Not not only from a player standpoint, but from a coaching standpoint too. Like, you you look at Chris Finch, uh, Nick Nurse, Taylor Jenkins. Like, those are just three of the examples. But there seems to be more and more success stories of coaches coming through that league, and it only makes sense as the league adopts more and more kind of NBA systems and, and works closer with those teams. It's a it's a really good testing ground for a lot of these coaches uh, to either experiment stuff to to learn kind of the responsibilities of being a head coach to familiarize themselves at a deeper level with implementing those NBA systems I, I really do think that it, there's a untapped potential still still here with this league yeah no, no doubt and you talk about coaches you know I think one of the most one of the things we're really proud of as part of the organization is you know, a lot of our former charge coaches are up in the NBA now. You got uh, Jordy Fernandez, who's an assistant with Denver. You know, Steve Kly is, you know, on, on Utah's bench. Mike Batiste was in Orlando's bench. And just having guys, not just as a, a development ground for players, but like you said, coaches as well is something we try and emphasize. And we want to push, you know, those guys to be the best they can be. Mm-hmm. No, absolutely. And it's it's almost like a cyclical thing, right? Like the more success stories that you see, uh, both from a coaching and player standpoint, the more people are going to get invested in that league. Like I, I do think teams, it would be nice to see more and more teams be comfortable with sending players to the G League to, to get those reps, especially if they're in a situation where, hey, we're healthy right now. We believe in your talent. We like what you're doing. The charge are running the same stuff as us. We want to see you go out there and get those reps. Like to me, that that's a real area for growth. And I, I think as more and more uh, prospects coming out of high school adopt that, as you see more and more players uh, do that, uh, coming down from the NBA to to get those reps. My my hope is that you see more players uh, adopt that as something that they're willing to do. Do you, do you think there's still just a little bit of a uh, hesitancy or kind of a, a stigma associated with playing in the other league? Yeah, I definitely think there's a little bit of a stigma of kind of being sent down in, in a mm-hmm. sense. And I think uh, as the, I mean, I think that 60% number is going to only continue to grow as, you know, some of the players that, the D league didn't even have a chance to, you know, have kind of phase out and some of the new guys kind of come in that number will only continue to uh, increase. And I think at the end of the day, at the end of the day, though, you want players that want to play. Mm-hmm. And I think players realize that, Hey, I'm not necessarily playing. Like it's fun to play games in the G league, you know, it's, <laughs> it's fun to, you know, get to play 35 minutes and have the ball in my hands or, you know, get post touches or have the offense, you know, run through me a little bit. And so I think as the league continues to trend in that direction, it, it won't be a, an assignment down or anything like that. It'll just be, hey, I'm just going to go play with this team and get reps and get better. So if someone listening to this is an ignorant Cavs fan like me, who <laughs> has limited bandwidth and time, what are some of the names uh, that, that we should be checking out when it comes to the, the charge um, that at least are confirmed for next season? So, so that's the interesting thing with, the G League and kind of 
part of what makes my job fun and interesting and exciting is the roster completely changes over from year to year. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, when you have a player on your team, you have their rights for the next two seasons. But, you know, there's a good amount of players that, you know, from our team will end up going playing overseas or maybe another team wants to bring them into a training camp. And like I said, it's not like uh, in baseball where because Levi Randolph, you know, played for the charge, we've got his exclusive rights. He could go and sign with the 29 other teams or end up going and playing in Spain or Turkey or something like that. So to be honest, we don't have any players confirmed for next year. And I don't think any nope. G league team has any confirmed players for, for this, the uh, next season yet. A lot of it's, you know, undrafted guys or guys you bring into training camp and, and kind of build out from there. Well, I'm really glad that I started that question by claiming my ignorance because that's <laughs> that's a whole part of this podcast experience. It's me learning and hopefully our, our listeners <laughs> learn along with me. That that throws off my question too of of who would be the, the next Dean Wade uh, that, that you see making the leap. Maybe it can be a, a pitch uh, some, to some other player that's available. Is, is there, <laughs> I, I know uh, the last time that we talked about the, the G League on our podcast, uh, our guest was really high on Sir Dominic Point really feels like he needs to get an NBA shot with some team. Um, <laughs> is there kind of a, a guy that you're, you're keeping your eye on that you feel can really make that leap that's maybe been a, a G League vet for a long time, whether it be with the Charger or someone else? Yeah, Serdama I think is a, a great name, and it's been fun to see his growth from you know when we drafted him you know way back when to you know his first couple years in the G League, then when went, went overseas. And then has been a stalwart, stalwart for us these past couple of years. And um, was it the two seasons ago, the, the COVID shortened season? He was the is the only player in G League history to have 80 blocks and 80 steals Ooh. in a season. And that was even, we didn't even play a full 50 game season. <laughs> I still think he got robbed for the defensive player of the year. And I'm going to uh, the kid um, from Florida State, Christ Kumaji, just you know, a big seven foot four guy or whatever like that. But what Dom has done on the, uh, been able to do on the defensive end, I think definitely warrants attention. And, you know, you see guys that like a Dorian Finney Smith for the Mavericks mm. or something like that. And in terms of being such a disruptor on defense and a capable shooter, I think Dom has developed into a capable shooter. And I think he could really help a, a team at some point. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, playing defense, especially in today's game, like where I do feel maybe some of the the ease of player movement and whatnot makes it more and more difficult. The guys that do stand out defensively are like, they are at the top of their class. Like it is such a high degree of difficulty that if you can stay with guys and if you can actually make an impact, you can get those blocks, you get the steals, you can test all those shots. Like, you're you're almost a freak of nature at that point, and <laughs> I mean that with all the intended affection. <laughs> um, is before we wrap this up, uh, I, I want to thank you again so much for for coming on and uh, providing all this insight. This has been really really enjoyable. Is there something that we haven't covered uh, yet that that you'd like to to talk about, or or something that we've missed? Um, you know, I I just think that uh, you know we talked a lot about the proximity and. Um, of kind of the move from Canton to Cleveland. And I, I think that not only helps, you know, the players, I think the coaching staff being around the other coaching staff mm. will, will, will be great as well for, you know, both staffs in the sense of, as I'm sure, I'm, as I'm sure, you know, a lot of us have learned, you know, 
it's way different being on zoom calls or phone calls and just being in an office and, you know, being able to pop over to somebody's desk or be able to, you know, sit down at lunch with somebody just kind of casually and, you know, lots of different ideas can be sparked from those conversations and plans can be formulated and stuff like that, that I'm excited for the kind of increased synergy amongst our coaching staff as well. And I think it's going to make the player development better um, as well with, with the charge. So I'd say, like I mentioned, it's not just about developing the players, but developing the coaches. And then even, you know, guys like my, myself as, you know, front office members and our, some of our other younger scouts who helped me a lot um, with this. It's, it's a great just development ground for everybody involved with it. And, you know, I always kind of joke that I think the G League is great because, you know, I can make a, a bad draft pick or I can make a bad trade and I don't have to worry about, you know, Stephen A. Smith yelling at me, yelling about <laughs> my, my move on sports in the next day. And, I think that's that's the best uh, kind of form of development is learning through mistakes. And I think the G League is just a great opportunity for everyone to learn through experience. Well, you messed up a little bit because you came on the podcast, and now Carter and I will be giving you will be giving you credit every time there's a Dean Wade or a Lamar Stevens. But if there's a mistake, oh, you're you're going to hear about it from us. Oh, but I, I fully expect it. <laughs> I, I do think your your point of like proximity and synergy uh, it makes so much sense, and it, especially working virtually now like I haven't been in the office in months and yeah you have virtual meetings but sometimes the best and most productive meetings are the meeting after the meeting as you're like walking back or uh, just those conversations where something pops out into your head after you're done talking so I, I do think that the proximity is really going to help things out but Brendan thank you so much for coming on this was a lot of fun really insightful really enjoyed this uh, I, I want to again uh, we're putting you on notice. We'll, we'll be giving you uh, credit, and and hopefully, hopefully, you're willing to come back and uh, talk about uh, maybe some of the call ups or two way players in the future. We really, really do appreciate your insight. No, appreciate you having me, Justin. This was great. You guys do a, a great job. And I was talking with somebody the other day in terms of you know just hey, do you listen to podcasts or read what other people have to say, and even if it's not positive or something like that. And my whole thing is look like. I grant, I get it. Not everybody's always going to agree with every move that any team makes, whether it be us or another team. But if I can learn something or kind of glean a different perspective from one of you, like it's worth my time. And I think you guys do a great job of, of doing that. So keep up the good work there. Well, thank you so much. My, my ego is big enough on its own. Uh, you have just pumped it up. So now my wife has to deal with that for the rest of the week. So thank you so much, Brendan. And thank you to all our listeners as well. We really do appreciate your support. If you want to support the podcast, the best way to do so is by leaving a rating, leave a review, subscribe, unsubscribe, and resubscribe, and help cook those books. If you want to be part of the Chase Down's exclusive Discord chat, send a screenshot of that review to chasedownpod at gmail.com. However you choose to support us, we really do appreciate it. Make sure you guys are staying safe out there. And until next time, Go Cavs.